Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. All right. I've got a couple of education stories here right at the top that I want to get to, which immediately sort of leans into the jab talk per usual. It's funny how the two things are always melding together, isn't it? It's disgusting, but it's a fact of life, and it's the way that it is. So we're going to tackle that as well. I want to get into the Lynette Hardaway Diamond of Diamond and Silk uh, Remembrance Ceremony that they had also. A, a lot of people are, are misinterpreting it and, and speaking out of line because I watched the whole thing, and I thought it was very interesting and very telling, and I have a bunch of questions. Um, and again, it, it was very interesting, and I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was, it was very well done. Her sister spoke very plainly and honestly about the entire situation, and she actually knows far more, I think, than what people might give her credit for, which is just awesome. So I'm going to get into that a little bit later, too. Um, I do want to mention this right off of the top. I've written another Substack article on the American Classroom titled A Path in the Tempest, and I specifically describe the sort of fake squabble between the Daily Wire and Steven Crowder and and the con that is Conservative Inc. And I dive into that a little bit. The main point I think that I make is, is that they don't hear themselves talk anymore. These are these are money grubbing individuals that are that are concerned with money, all although I fully understand Steven Crowder's point in the whole thing from a contractual standpoint that he wants to keep his name and keep the rights to the things that he creates. I, I fully get that. Um, I, I have no doubt that he is more concerned with the movement than the Daily Wire is. The Daily Wire is not concerned with that. Again, I listened to Candace Owens on Tim Pool's show, and I lasted about 15 minutes. I wanted to turn it off after two minutes because I can't listen to her voice anymore. She talks so quickly, it's almost like she has... Ben Shapiro's hand on her spine, and he's shaking it, making her talk the way that she does. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of word usage that gets used there when, when Candace Owens was on with Tim Pool, and as you would expect, with Tim Pool and his entire, you know, I don't know, table of misfits or, or wannabe tough guys, um, you know, they're so non-committal, it's disgusting. You you can't be non-committal in war. You just can't. And that, again, is, is the basis of the substack that I wrote. So head on over to the American Classroom and, and give that a read if you're, if you're interested. Again, if you don't want to read it, you can download the substack reader app, and uh, a, a female robot voice will read it for you in less than, whatever, six minutes, something like that. So, yeah, there you go. Just wanted to make that abundantly clear. And I think that there's a middle road to all of it, which, again, is that I don't care what any of them think. And I think that they're both wrong for a variety of reasons, because they're not talking about the things that are being brought up on this show, of course. They're not talking about endless things that are being brought up on endless shows, because they're all contractually obligated to not talk about it. And therein lies the problem. That's the bigger issue. And I do believe, again, that Steven Crowder has the advantage 
in that argument over the Daily Wire by a long stretch because he knows that that's the case. He doesn't want to be hindered by YouTube. He doesn't want to be hindered by any social media platform. And he wants the freedom to be able to talk about what he wants to talk about. Whereas the Daily Wire says, hey, look, we got to play the game. It's a business. You know, let's play the game. Well, you're playing the enemy's game. And that, that doesn't work for anybody. So there's that. Just wanted to mention that out of the gate here. Um, okay, let me get into this now. One quick correction, actually two. I said in the last episode that the uh, that, that money's the root of all evil. I, I got that wrong. Someone corrected me. Thank you. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. So my apologies. Uh, the, the next one, of course, has to do with a correction regarding the Project Veritas guy. I think I said he was from New York. He wasn't. He was from Georgia. And that's why, again, apparently Georgia has uh, critical race theory is, is essentially illegal in, in Georgia, allegedly. So that was, that was sort of one of the hooks regarding, regarding that particular story. What I also found interesting and funny at the exact same time, in fact, I was laughing, was, you know, they found this guy in a Georgia restaurant recently after the airing of the video from Project Veritas, and James O'Keefe approaches the guy and sits down next to him as they're basically having a meal. And we know what James O'Keefe's response or reaction to a response that he's basically looking for from the individual that he's cornering. He wants the person to get up and run away. That's what he wants. That's not what happened <laughs> this last time, which was really funny. The guy just sat there. He just sat there and he talked with James O'Keefe and highlighted, you know, his own beliefs, which of course are completely insane. And uh he just made James O'Keefe just bask and sit in in this guy's personal insanity and and the things that he believes. And it was perfect. And the the dude did it with a sense of humor. He did it with a smile on his face. Uh, it was the exact opposite of what James O'Keefe was looking for. Like I said, James O'Keefe wants people to run away from him, uh, you know, and dodge between cars and hide in buildings and whatever. This guy's like, whatever, man, let's talk. And, he, <laughs> and they just kept going. And then, you know, it was basically a comedy piece. It just turned out to be a giant comedy piece. So, again, is that kind of stuff new? Of course it's not. It's None of that's new. These people are lunatics. They believe things that are not real. They've been brainwashed to believe things that are not real, and they do it because it's based on feelings, which again brings up a larger point. This is why these people need to be made fun of, because if you make fun of them and you name-call them and you beat them down by actually name-calling them, that's their kryptonite. They hate that. Because again, the basis of their entire belief system, what they believe to be knowledge, is in fact not knowledge. Emotions are not facts. Facts are not emotions. There's just facts. But they believe things that are not real because they are emotionally bound to them. So if you break down that emotional wall, by calling them names and calling them out, that's when you see them just become completely hysterical, more times than not. Again, you know, there's been a lot of footage. There was one recently, too. Cicely let me know of this particular audio, and I, and I watched it, and I haven't played it on the show, but again, it's been making the rounds, and I'll just describe it. I believe it was in Idaho, 
I think it was Idaho. It was an Idaho school board meeting. And a senator, a state senator in Idaho came up to the lectern and he started to talk about how the school board is breaking the law when it comes to their CRT and their perverse books and all of that. That there's clear state law that says you can't do what you're doing. And then, of course, he got louder and louder and he started to he started to call them names and, you know, not childish names per se, but he started to basically tell them that they were all wrong, that they were breaking the law. I mean, he threw it right back in their face. And what did they all do? They they had a vote to adjourn the meeting immediately. People in the crowd were shouting at him, calling him names, holding up signs, the whole thing. It, it just it completely erupted into chaos and it was beautiful to watch. But that right there is exactly what these individuals cannot stand. You know, they have no problem name calling, but they can't take it. They have no problem basing their entire belief system on emotions and things that are not real. And yet when you provide them facts, they have no option but to completely deny it because they're not thinking people. But again, with all that said, it goes against everything too that that I've also said on this show to some extent which is that you cannot change these people's minds because they are crazy they're, again their entire existence is based on their feelings and their feelings are not accurate they're they're based on fallacy so the fastest way to thrust them into reality is to walk away from the very system that they claim that they are helping and supporting and providing for the community, quote unquote, of people wherever they live. If you want to destroy that system, you have to stop participating in it. It is quite literally that simple. Because you've heard me say on this show the, the order of operations when it comes to school boards and American K-12 school systems. If you want to bring them to their knees and have well, you basically be forcing state oversight on top of a, a particular school district is you walk away from the system, you pull your children out permanently, that leaves them with semi-empty buildings. If they have semi-empty buildings, that news is going to get back to the State Department of Education in a heartbeat. When that happens, they open up an immediate investigation. The State Department of Education would investigate that school district and say, what in the hell are you doing? All of the students are leaving here. What are you doing? And then they don't even spend a whole lot of time asking questions because they know that the results are clear at face value. Parents have pulled their children out permanently. There's no getting them back. So what happens is, is, of course, the State Department of Education comes in and removes everyone at the top, so to speak, who is associated with the school district. They remove all of the school board members in the blink of an eye. They remove the treasurer in the blink of an eye. They fire the superintendent immediately because now they are the school board. The state, again, the state officials have these people on deck ready to go to replace school board members, superintendents, and treasurers instantly. It does happen. This is a thing that, that does happen. 
Usually, it's because of poor academics. The school will fail academically year after year after year, and then the state shows up with their paperwork and their pens and their watchful eye, and they start to see what's going going on in the particular environment. What they haven't planned for, which is why this is the only strategy that is a winning strategy, is you remove your children from these environments permanently, which will crush the local school district and the people who run it. Now, are they going to fire, you know, the teachers and the secretaries and the support staff and paraprofessionals? No, they typically don't. They want to keep those people employed. But what they want to do is, is they want to bring in somebody who's going to entice individuals to come back. Now, sometimes it's futile. It, it just, it won't work, no matter what they try and what they do. They may even move around K-12 administrators. They may even fire them. School building principals, vice principals, whatever. They may even get rid of them too. And they, they have the right to do that. They have the right to end their contracts. Administrators are not a part of a union. So they, they, they aren't, they're not attached with you know, union, uh, union backing of any kind. The only people who back and support building level administrators are the school boards. But if the school board is now run by state bureaucrats, well, they're, you know, building administrators' heads are on the chopping block next. My overall point is this. That approach would cause government to crush government. You'd be forcing them to turn their guns against each other. You, you know, imagine a, a duel, you know, just a straight up old western town duel where they're you know, government is on one end, and then the school board, which is government, is on the other. But you're in the middle, and you have your hand on both of their wrists. And all you're doing is just moving the guns directly at each other, and you're in control. And then they are forced to pull the trigger on one another because they have nowhere else to go. There's no fixing their problem. Everybody's already left. And that's that. That's the strategy going forward. That's the, that's the nail I, can, I continuously hammer on this show, and you know that. And I just wanted to reiterate that because, again, the evidence is everywhere that this has to be the way forward. Stop trying to fix the environment from the inside out. There are too many holes in the ship. It's sinking. But what you can do is, is you can jump off of the boat and then blame the people who are going down with the ship as being the problem, and everyone will see that. That'll be a flare in the sky that will be undeniable. And I'm telling you, when state officials from the Department of Education at the state level show up to a school district, in particular if they were to do so in that form and fashion because of that reason, not because of academics, but because parents are pulling their children out permanently, that State Department of Education will never leave that school district. They will be a hawk over that school district for years to come. And that's not what school boards want. They don't want State Department of Education officials showing up because they know that their heads are on the chopping block. Hey, I say sharpen the knives and uh, and and oil up you know oil up the uh, the wood chopping block as much as you want. It's it's time for this to happen.
this sh- this should be happening all across the United States right now. I know that it is in pockets, and I know that the mainstream media is not talking about it, but I just wanted to mention that right off the top because that's the way forward. So let me get into this now. Uh, this comes from Floridian, the Floridian, which is uh, floridianpress.com. It says, Florida kills African-American studies and Democrats react. DeSantis' culture war continues in second term. Now, I'm not sure who's writing this and, and their particular take, but what they're claiming is, is that DeSantis has removed a advanced placement African-American studies course from the state curriculum because it's basically led by progressives. It's a, it's, it, it, it again is a strategy to implement social justice, social emotional learning, the 1619 project, all of that other, again, Marxist rewriting of history. I mean, the thing here that, that people have to understand is, is that African-American history is American history. It's a part of our history, and unfortunately, even as George Orwell said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, if, if you rewrite history, you own everyone. All you have to do is just rewrite it. And, and you do that generation after generation, people will, be, will ultimately become ignorant to the history that actually exists. Which again, I'm going to end this episode on a very important history lesson that people get wrong consistently, and yet the truth is right in front of people's faces if they just think about it and then go look for it. So that that apparently is a thing. Uh, they said, let me see here. A governor, the governor's spokesperson Brian Griffin uh, said, "Quote: The Florida Department of Education has rejected." The College Board's AP African American Studies course because it lacks educational value and historical accuracy. Yeah. As submitted, the course is a vehicle for a political agenda and leaves large, ambiguous gaps that can be filled with additional ideological material, which we will not, which we will not allow. As Governor DeSantis has stated, our classrooms will be a place for education, not indoctrination. Good. That's good. I, I wish that they would – I mean, I, I wish the State Departments of Education would get a little bit better when it came to foreign languages. I, I wish that they would stop teaching middle school students Chinese. You know, this – in my opinion, this has no place in American K-12 schools because they can't speak English. They're having – students are having a hard time speaking English correctly. They're having a hard time writing English. They're having a hard time being taught cursive, let alone reading it. I mean, I'll use myself as an example here, straight up, and I, I'm not ashamed to say any of this. When, when I was in sixth grade, sixth grade was when they really leaned on us about cursive writing. You're going to learn cursive. And I thought, great, I'm all for it. This entire time, we've done nothing but print and just learn print. And my print wasn't always the best either. I mean, let's face it, most girls always had nicer handwriting than, than guys did. But either way, at least that seemed to be the case when I was growing up. I'm sure it's kind of that way still. But either way, my print wasn't the best, but now all of a sudden they want us to teach cursive. 
or they wanted us to, you know, start learning cursive and writing in cursive. And I thought, well, I've spent all these years learning it this way. Now you want me to do it this way. And I thought, okay. So naturally, and it and this is a natural response. When I would write things out, it would basically be a half and half. Some of the letters would would look print, and then some of the letters were cursive. And I remember my teacher, as you know, rest their soul because they're dead now. But you know they they were criticizing me and other students, and and I remember them, of course, doing it with me. But they would they would criticize the way that I was writing, not taking into consideration that that's actually a very natural approach. If you're teaching people to write one particular way and then you teach them to write another way that's completely different, it's normal that someone would mix those letters all together and they would look very similar. Or at least, you know, sort of not look similar, but just be melded together is my whole point. And so she would mark off on my on my tests and my quizzes and my writing assignments by saying, you know, these letters aren't in cursive. And she'd circle them with red and I'd go, yeah, I know they're not. I'm learning cursive. I'm learning it. So I'm having to phase out print to learn cursive for your class. But don't don't grade me poorly because I'm not immediately doing it the way that you want it done. That of course then led to how people are taught to write. And one of the things that, of course, is very common among American K-12 schools, in particular from grade to grade, is the teachers don't communicate with one another. They don't communicate with one another about what the previous teacher in the previous grade has taught their students. What did they, what did they practice? What did they do? Excuse me. What, what is it that they, you know, what were the exact assignments? In particular, again, when it came to learning how to write. Not just handwriting, but actually like writing papers. This too was not something that was taken very seriously when I was in middle school and high school. It just wasn't. So by the time I, I made it, you know, made my way to college, if I would write a paper, I mean, it was, it was poorly written. They tended to be rather poorly written. Not uncommon. It's, it's, you know, that, that's, that's not uncommon. Yes, it would depend on where a person went to school. And I went to a terrible school district filled with idiots. Um, you know, no fault of, of theirs, so to speak. It's just, it was just the system. It was the way that it was done. And so I didn't actually learn how to really write until after college in graduate school. So I was already a school teacher. I wasn't doing a whole lot of writing, but I was doing a ton of reading. And I was clearly reading things that were way more advanced, of course, than, than the way that I personally wrote. And that's how I learned how to write. I learned how to write by doing both of those things at the same time. Consistently reading nonfiction, not fiction, but nonfiction. And then paying attention to the way that they wrote and the way that they spoke. And then speaking the way that they spoke. And then I started to write the way that they wrote regardless of who the author was. Again, nonfiction, nonfiction books. But it was during graduate school then where you, of course, learn the punctuation strategies and the cadence and the referencing you know, methods that are used and so on and so forth. And then I honed all of that when I was getting my doctorate. 
same exact process all over again. You know, you enter another level and then you look back and you go, wow, when I was in graduate school, I wasn't writing that well. So you have a completely, you know, a, a shedding of the skin, so to speak, yet again. And then you end up learning how to write. And I'm still learning how to write. And I'm still learning how other people write and how other people, uh, you know, write books and, and do the things that they do. My point is, is that all of that could be done. It could be done with some level of seriousness at the elementary school level, the middle school level, and the high school level, but by and large, it isn't. And that's the problem. You've even, again, heard Dr. McCutcheon on this show say that her own students at Marshall University have a very difficult time not just reading, but writing. That's a, that's a very real problem. That's a very real issue that continues to exist. Again, why does that exist? Well, a variety of reasons of which I've just brought up, but most of it, in my opinion, has to do with wasted time. We're teaching them Chinese. <laughs> I mean, why? Why? I remember, again, being a middle school teacher when the Chinese in, you know, uh, foreign language teacher, who also was Spanish and she was British, go figure, a British uh, a British foreign language teacher who was fluent in Spanish and taught Chinese. And she was white. Uh, you know, but I, I thought to myself, sweet pickle Jesus, why aren't we teaching them English? Because their English teachers aren't doing a good job of teaching them English. Um, the, the, you know, they're not leaving with any foreign language knowledge, which means you are quite literally wasting an entire semester's worth of time on getting them to become quote-unquote familiar with other cultures and other languages. How about they master their own first? How about that? But there you go. It just continues to, I think, highlight the larger problem. And again, these fake classes filled with these ideologies and these word games that they play to try to get them to be accepted, like this AP African American Studies course, which has been shot down in the state of Florida, that's just more wasted time. It's a complete waste of time. And before you know it, those students are going to have pronouns after their names waving a rainbow flag, and then all hell's going to break loose. Ugh, it's awful. It's just awful. Speaking of awful, let's go to Seattle, shall we? This comes from Just the News. Cicely moved this my way also. Thank you, Cicely, for that. Seattle's public schools' diversity employees are among the highest paid in the system, it says. Yep. But it's all about the kids, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget that. It's all about the kids. That's what they'll tell you. It's all about the kids. They want everybody to believe that the money is going to the right place when, in fact, it's going into their own pockets. The subtitle of this, again, from Just the News says, Keisha Scarlett okay, had her salary increase in one year from $158,451 to $226,695 after she was appointed as the Chief of Equity Partnership and Engagement. Ladies and gentlemen, that's more than what superintendents make. That's exorbitant. Here's the other thing about Seattle, which, of course, they're not going to tell you. They're bleeding money, and then they're moving the money around and giving it to select people 
because they're losing students and they're losing staff and their buildings are closing permanently. The Seattle area schools have closed a number of public schools over the last two years, coming up on three now, and that's only going to continue. So something to keep an eye on, I think, is this this moving of money within districts and seeing who at the so-called top receives extra money as the schools themselves are crumbling to the ground. Some of these pay raises may even be temporary. Because for those that are in the business and have been in the business, you know this, that it's during the spring and summer when the state allocates all of the money for a particular district that that the district needs. If those students end up leaving and the building ends up closing its doors as a result of a lack of participation and people, of course, showing up, they're not just going to burn that money. They're going to move it around and they're going to have to give it to someone. That someone, of course, is not going to be school teachers. It's not going to be anybody at that particular level, won't be paraprofessionals or secretaries. They'll move it around the district office. They'll move it around the people who, again, are pushing the agenda that is crushing their own line of work. So that's my take on that. That's just my opinion, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if that's exactly what's happening in this particular situation kind of the behind-the-scenes look, so to speak. Okay, here's the next thing. Jesse James throwed this my way. He said his daughters go to uh, Western Michigan University, and he said that out of nowhere, there is apparently now a forced ID program having to do with the dining halls at Western Michigan University that apparently involve fingerprints, at the very least a thumbprint, if I had to take a guess, as opposed to using, you know, a card with money on an account. And now they want everybody's fingerprints. Uh, Here's one particular post from this thread that he sent me. This was from one individual, I assume a parent. It said, our son sent us a message today saying that WMU is requiring all students to get a biometric hand scan. Not sure we like this at all, and he is concerned. Just so much out there with all this kind of stuff, I guess we shall see. And then somebody says, it's a form of ID that can't be lost or stolen. Well, I think it could be. And then another person responded, said, yeah, no thank you. They've been using the same system for years. My child does not need to provide a fingerprint to eat. What's next? A chip under the skin? Again, no thank you. Yeah, that's the slippery slope that I know he's brought up on his show. I've brought up on mine. That's that's the way that it is. Uh, Here's another one. It says again, does anyone know about the biometric hand scan that started this week on campus? Do we know why they are going this route with our kids, quote-unquote? Yeah, and again, apparently it's being used in dining services. I'm sure this is happening in numerous universities all over the place. It's very strange, but it's par for the course regarding what the so-called powers that be want people 
you know, to, to rely on. They want to use their fingerprints, and then all of a sudden, the slippery slope is, is oh, you, uh, you, know, you got a parking ticket or you got a speeding ticket. Well, you're limited as to how much food you can eat or whether or not you have access to this, that, or the other. Then it's in the banking system, and then all hell's going to break loose. You rob people of the ability to access food. You rob people the ability to access money. You're going to have chaos. There's no other way around it. You're just going to have chaos. And uh, it, it would certainly seem that, again, the powers that be would want that to be the case. We saw the toilet paper thing. Remember that? That was fun to watch. That was fun to watch. My memory's fresh on that one. And I hope people's memories are fresh on that because that was interesting. I, I remember just sitting back and sort of laughing and crying at the exact same time and thinking to myself, these people are nuts. They're absolutely nuts. They have no idea that this is all manufactured and this is all being done on purpose. But the people at Western Michigan University could clearly, the students themselves, could clearly stand up against this in a heartbeat. Stop going. You know, delete. I mean, that would take a lot of people, I know. But delete all your accounts. You know, go, go, go get food somewhere else. Because what's going to happen? Again, that's going to cause a domino effect throughout the entire dining hall system where everybody would say, well, no one's showing up and we're wasting all this food. And what is food? Food is money. So they're wasting all that money again. And all these students, of course, took all their money out of the system, which means they're not paying for the food, which means they're not paying the university and they're not paying the, the dining hall employees, et cetera, et cetera. That's that slippery slope. That, again, would be a good thing. That would be a neat domino fall if that were to actually happen. But I think that's a stretch, uh, even for college students, as well intended as many of them are. But who, who knows? It could happen. That's how you get things changed, though. You don't get things changed by continuing to participate in the machine while trying to change the machine. It, uh, it doesn't work that way. Speaking of the machine, here's another one. This, again, not, not a new thing, but alarming nonetheless. And we're seeing, of course, all of the excuses be made regarding the shots and the jabs and the impact that that's having on everybody who takes them, in particular, of course, K-12 students, university students, and the people who work within. The people who work within now are doing whatever they can to cover all this up and normalize this insanity. They actually believe, again, that COVID is real, that COVID exists. It does not. They believe that COVID is causing people to have heart attacks or strokes or that the flu season is causing that to be the case. It is not. But now they're putting out particular uh, waivers and forms that they want parents to sign off on, alerting these parents to what the school's procedures are for students or staff, in particular their own students, the, the parents' own students who attend the school, if they were to have a heart attack and need to be resuscitated. This particular form that I'm going to read here comes from the Georgia High School Association, and it says student-slash-parent sudden cardiac arrest awareness form. And then it has the school name at the top. Looks like Robin, Robin County something. 
And then it says, number one, learn the early warning signs. If you or your child has any one or more of these signs, see your primary care physician. Fainting suddenly and without warning, especially during exercise or in response to loud sounds like doorbells, alarm clocks, or ringing phones. For the love of Christ. Doorbells, alarm clocks, and ringing phones cause people to faint suddenly without warning. Who knew? The next bullet point, unusual chest pain or shortness of breath during exercise. Hmm. The next one, family members who had sudden, unexplained, or unexpected death before age 50. (laughs) What are they doing? Someone created this. Someone typed this out. The next bullet point says family members who have been diagnosed with a condition that can cause sudden cardiac death, such as hypertrophia, if I'm saying that right, it's cut off here, uh, cardiomyopathy, or long QT syndrome. When, whenever, I mean, we know this is all jab-related, let's not kid ourselves, but whenever has a school dipped into your family history on health? or illness to be a predetermining factor as to what's going to happen to said student or said child? When has that ever been a school-related issue? The last bullet point under number one says, a seizure suddenly and without warning, especially during exercise or in response to loud sounds, again, like doorbells, alarm clocks, or ringing phones. A seizure now. So it goes from fainting to alarm clocks to seizures because of alarm clocks. (laughs) You just, you can't make this up. You can't. It's too stupid. It's too stupid. Again, when in the history of ever has anyone ever said that the flu causes strokes? The flu doesn't exist, by the way. But even so, When have those two things ever been connected to one another? It says number two. That was all just number one. This is number two. Learn to recognize sudden cardiac arrest. If you see someone collapse, assume he has experienced sudden cardiac arrest and respond quickly. The victim will be unresponsive, gasping, or not breathing normally and may have some jerking, seizure like activity. Send for help and start. CPR, uh, you cannot hurt him, and cannot is underlined. Well, you could, but, you know, if a person isn't doing it correctly, you know, moving their leg like a, like a lever or something, <laughs> I mean, that's snapping their neck around. I, I don't know. Number three, it says learn hands-only CPR. It says effective CPR saves lives by circulating blood to the brain and other vital organs until rescue teams arrive. It is one of the most something important life skills you can learn, and it's easier than ever. And then there's three bullet points. It says call 911 or ask bystanders to call 911 and get an AED. The next bullet point says push hard and fast in the center of the chest. Kneel at the victim's side, place your hand on the lower half of the breastbone, 
one on top of the other. Elbows straight and locked, push down two inches and then up two inches at a rate of ten times per minute to the beat of the song, Stayin' Alive. Jesus, couldn't they have picked a better, <laughs> couldn't they have picked a better song? I mean, I get it, but good lord. I think we know how to count. We don't have to do it to a to a Bee Gees tune, do we? And these people again, they're not thinking, and they're not they're writing this out, and they're not even thinking about how it sounds, let alone the environment in which this is supposed to be existing for. Oh wow! The last bullet point it says if an automated external defibrillator or AED is available, open it and follow the voice prompts. It will lead you step by step through the process and will never shock a victim that does not need a shock. Interesting. I've never played around with those, so I wonder how that's possible. Uh, it then, of course, the permissions section at the bottom. It says, by signing this sudden cardiac arrest form, I give blank high school permission to transfer this sudden cardiac arrest form to the other sports that my child may play. I am aware of the danger of sudden cardiac arrest, and this signed sudden cardiac arrest form will represent myself and my child during the 2022-2023 school year. This form will be stored with the athletic, physical form, and other accompanying forms required by the blank school system. It asks for the student's printed name and then their signed name. Well, based on what I said earlier, their signed name uh, is going to be a little tough because they can't write cursive. And then parent printed and parent signature as well. My God. Just normalizing the madness, that's all. Just normalizing the madness. Okay. Let me read this now. This is geopolitical. It is speculation. I think it's interesting. I threw this up on Gab at the end of last week. Uh, I figured you should hear this. Uh, again, speculation, but I think it's food for thought. This has to do again with the global powers that be, why they're doing what they're doing, etc., etc. This apparently comes from New Zealand, written on a anonymous chat board, and this came back from... Uh, let's see, September 28th of 2021. Again, a lot of speculation. Take it with a grain of salt, but just think about it because, you know, we're thinking and that's not a, that's not a crime. It's titled the following and it is lengthy, so bear with me, but it's very interesting, I think. It's titled, an elite, quote unquote, confided in me. What you are about to read about the COVID endgame will make everything crystal clear. It says the following. I will not tell you who or why. Let's just say I spent days with this person and they have a bolt hole in New Zealand. Again, keep in mind, this is from 2021. It says it's the first time I've ever hung out with a known high net worth individual. Billions. It was a chance encounter after doing some work for them in Queenstown. Dinner drinks we were had and discussions took place. I was invited to hang at their place for the weekend. I am posting this now after processing it. 
They were loose-lipped and open with me, but did say, if I mention these things, that we never met, quote-unquote, but laughed and said, no one would believe it anyway, so have fun, quote-unquote, just keep their identity out of it. They said we have nothing to worry about here, so in spite of what they told me, he told me to consider myself one of the luckiest humans alive to be in New Zealand right now. They asked me if I took the vax and were relieved when I said no. They said Kiwis would get the antidote anyway, but some will not make it to that point. After all, someone had to, had to run things here for them, quote-unquote. I initially asked what they thought the endgame was for all of this COVID stuff. They asked me what I thought it was with great interest, but I wasn't close. They basically said this. And then there's just a series of bullet points here, right? Basically right to the end. It says the following, quote, A plan was devised many years ago, and for many years, that is all it was, a plan. They had to wait many years for the technologies available to make the plan viable and to recruit the appropriate individuals. This is definitely about a new global government being put into place. Details will continue. It says the new global government is already in place, operating for years in complete secrecy, waiting on the sidelines moving the chess pieces. The new government required some of the top minds on the planet. Almost all of them came on board in their own free will and with a full belief in the cause of a new world government. Sorry for the slow reading here. It's very small print and rather tight. Uh, it says, in their view, they are brute force saving humanity at all costs. I was told those who refused were dealt to, but in most cases, they would bring the person to the wider group, and through discussions, they were convinced and became committed to the cause. Most times, these minds, quote-unquote, were applying for fake jobs and going through psych evals, etc., as a first step. It says this plan is ongoing and the most complex global chain of events ever put into motion. The plan is essentially to turn every citizen of every country violently against their own government. How they are doing this is pure genius and pure evil. To achieve this plan, my chance encounter asked, how would I do it? Question mark. How would you turn every citizen of every country against their own government? I really have no idea, so they laid out the basics for me. And then here are the bullet points. There must be a global engineered sickness. There must be a mass fear, panic, and paranoia. Leaders, scientists, and media must converge on consensus of, of a treatment. That treatment would be essentially handed to them without them even realizing it. Initially, there can only be a few sanctioned treatments. All other treatments must be deemed dangerous, unsafe, and banned. Leaders, scientists, and media are manipulated to believe this treatment is the only option, the only way to get you and your family safe. Leaders, scientists, and media, in a sense, give you their word that this treatment is safe and effective. 
Children were also targeted to elicit maximum pain and anger when it goes bad. They said, I found this part interesting. Our leaders, scientists, and media are not complicit in this plan or actually part of this plan in any way. None of them, not even Fauci. They are mere fodder for these elites, serving a purpose, then will be discarded or fed to the angry. They have been played. It says the few outlets who question the treatment are discredited in a variety of ways and censored. Sanctioned treatments, quote-unquote, are, are biologics slash poisons that take two to three years to be fully realized. MRNA was the advanced technology they were waiting for. Public messaging ensures people beg for the treatment, quote-unquote, and line up for it. We could say the plan is well underway at this point and so far hugely successful. The mRNA uptake has been huge and the people all believe the treatment, quote-unquote, is the only way back to normality. I was told it has exceeded their wildest expectations. What next? This is where the final plan executes. It says the tables turn on the vaccine narrative. I was told in time the vaccine will increase infection and increase death, that billions will die, and the million and the people rather will be enraged and burn their governments to the ground. Their leaders, scientists, and media will be torched, hunted, and hung in the streets. Both sides will burn their governments to the ground. The pro-vax side, completely betrayed and dying, will rage. The non-vax side will rage for what their government allowed to happen. I was also told when this, when this happens, think Mad Max, quote-unquote, for a while, but think of New Zealand Elysium, quote-unquote. There are a few designated zones like New Zealand, but due to geography and infrastructure, New Zealand is known as Zone 1. Once the masses are free of government and all those who betrayed them, quote-unquote, and they have suffered enough, this is when the new global government will emerge as the great savior. It will be an easy sell, I am told. And that was in quotes. Says, this was my brain dump. I probably left out quite a bit. They waxed on about this, but, someone, uh, but somewhat ignored direct questions. They said they liked me and wanted me around when the dust settles, that I was hugely useful to them. I don't know. Part of me just thinks they were effing with me. I do feel better about being where I am right now, unquote. You know, I moved that to a few listeners and contributors of the show at the end of last week because I wanted to get their takes too. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, clearly a lot in it that's already true. We know that. There's a lot that's not being considered, I think, in this particular scenario, like military intervention on one side or the other for one reason or another. That's not, you know, that's not contemplated here. Um, there's a number of things that, that are missing from this, I think. But there are, again, there's much of this that is legitimate already. We know that, again, these crises are manufactured. The question is, is how far down the line 
do we know that they have these things planned and what are the reactions so far down the line that they have planned that we cannot see yet? Uh, ushering in a new global government here in America, I find that hard to believe that we would, I mean, I don't know. The, the globalist aspect of it makes sense because you, we saw how, again, everybody was lunging for toilet paper. And we saw how everybody was reacting. Not everybody, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, we saw how everybody was was reacting back in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. I mean, everybody was just kind of doing the same thing. Country to country, continent to continent, state to state. They were all implementing these very same programs and and patterns of behavior. I find it hard to believe that your average red-blooded American would disregard the Constitution to usher in or allow for a one-world government, even if that said government was claiming to be the savior after the dust settles, so to speak, as they say, after the Mad Max period. I think, I think that's... I, I just don't think that's likely to occur. Um, I have no doubt that when the proverbial shit hits the fan down the line, that it, things could reach a, a level of violence where people get killed. That, that's highly possible. Frankly, I'm shocked it hasn't happened yet. You know, we got a lot of people getting real close to a lot of these bad guys. You know, they're getting real close to Albert Borla, aren't they? And I'm going to play an audio clip from him in just a minute, but they're they're getting awfully close to uh, to Klaus Schwab. I mean, if people wanted these people dead, they they could they could kill them. You know, they're they're walking right up to them. So I'm not necessarily advocating for that, of course. But my point is, is that I'm shocked that it hasn't happened thus far. As I've said on Gab, uh, you know, God's going to judge them, but why has no one arranged the meeting yet? Seems like someone would have arranged the meeting by now, but who knows? Maybe, maybe too many Americans and too many people worldwide are, are too docile, and they just want to see what they think is going to happen down the line, and they're okay things, you know, with, with things getting worse before they get better, I guess. I'm not entirely sure, but it's an interesting scenario. It, it makes sense, again, from a a Galian dialectics uh, standpoint, without a doubt. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of truth to it. I mean, the media, for the most part, is sticking to their guns. They're having to rewrite the narrative as much as they can to cover their, you know, to cover their own backsides. Fauci isn't budging. He's continuing to make the comments that he makes and saying that it was a great decision and trust the science and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, people who are jabbed are dying. And we know that they want more dead. Which actually leads me to this, because not all heroes wear capes, of course. This comes from Citizen Free Press. Utah doctor arrested for destroying vaccines, giving saline shots to kids. I'm going to play this, uh, this YouTube clip very quickly. This is from ABC4 News out of Utah. Give this a listen. 
Thank you, Kayla. And a Utah doctor and his company are facing serious federal charges accused of running a fake vaccine ring. Court documents state Salt Lake County plastic surgeon Dr. Michael Moore and his co-defendants destroyed nearly $30,000 worth of government-issued vaccines. Health and Human Service investigation found that they would fill out fake vaccine cards in exchange for a cash donation. They're also accused of giving kids fake COVID shots filled with saline at the request of their parents. Dr. Moore and his co-defendants face several federal charges, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. Now, first of all, if I was in that doctor's position, I wouldn't have taken cash donations for a fake vaccine passport card thing. I wouldn't have done that. I would have just run them off, just have them printed off. Again, it's emergency use authorization. It's not the law. What they're basically doing is just printing their own hall passes. That's essentially all they're doing. So this is going to be interesting in court because it bears, you know, it brings into the question the Hippocratic Oath. Well, what happened to do no harm? I mean, now they have a legal basis to bring the proof that these are killing people and that parents had their backs up against a wall illegally when it came to attending particular universities or schools. Uh, you know, they can bring in as many parents as they want as witnesses to basically say, look, my child tried to get into this university. They couldn't because their medical exemption and religious exemption was was denied. So then we provided this this fake vaccine passport because we wanted to get into this particular school. I mean, that entire thing I just said is absurd. You know, pick an online school for God's sakes, but you get what I'm saying. They can, they can legally bring in whoever they want to speak on their behalf that were their own patients in their defense. Um, again, conspiracy to defraud the government. None of this was legal. There, there was no vaccine law. There was no vaccine passport law. So in order to defraud someone, you have to be breaking a law. They're not breaking a law. They're creating a fake hall pass for a hall pass system that didn't exist everywhere and wasn't the law. I'm, of course, making a school comparison with the hall pass, but you, again, you, you understand my wavelength of thought here. It's, this, it's the same kind of thing. And again, the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. They're on the right side of history. So I applaud these individuals without a doubt. Dr. Michael Moore, Jr., 58 years old, and his neighbor, Kristen Jackson Anderson, 59, along with office manager Carrie D. No way I get that last name. Sorry. Burgoyne, I think. Either way, there you go. You know, they just shouldn't have taken money for the fake vaccine passports. That's all. Just print them off for free. You want a fake vaccine passport? Take one, you know, on your way out the door. Take one out of the basket on your way out. That's that's basically it. So, good for them. Good for them without a doubt. Okay. Diamond and Silk. Let me get into this. And then I'm going to play the Albert Borla thing and then I've got just a few more articles uh and again another piece of audio later on and then I'm going to wrap this up. I know it's a long one. My apologies. <clears throat> it's getting that way anyway, isn't it? Uh, war. Unpredictable. Anywho, 
Here's my thoughts on the on on the uh, the memorial for Lynette Hardaway. It was an excellent speech that her sister gave. Her sister described the situation where she passed away. She passed away in front of her, not in her sleep. They were coming back from a birthday party. It was Silk, Silk's husband, and Diamond. And it was the three of them. And she said that her sister looked at her and and was becoming short of breath and said she was having trouble breathing. And then they sat her down in the kitchen. They opened up the door to get some fresh air, she said, and then her, her breathing just became slower and slower and slower, and then she just started to stare and then lost consciousness, and her heart stopped beating. And they laid her down, and they gave her chest compressions. Here's the thing about the speech, and I recommend you, you check it out, and, and it's a very simple search. All you have to do is get on Rumble and then type in Diamond and Silk, or Diamond, just Diamond, the word Diamond, named Diamond in the search engine, or in the search box there, and it'll be the first thing that pops up, and you'll be able to see it. It's about, I want to say, two hours in, two hours plus in to the actual, you know, all the different speeches that were given. And Donald Trump, of course, paid for the entire thing. I know people would get outraged and say, well, he pushed the jabs. I mean, you've, you know, you've heard my take on that. You've heard the multidimensional thinking as to why this was the case. Here's what I find odd. At no point, and people are getting this wrong, but at no point did Silk say that her sister took the shots. She didn't say that, not once. She said that her, her sister was pro-vaccine, anti-mandate. She didn't say pro-COVID vaccine. She just said pro-vaccine, pro-mandate. She was anti-mask. To me, there's nothing about those two women that would, that would imply that they were jabbed. I'm not saying they were or they weren't. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is it seems odd that they would be because those two women are intelligent and they didn't give an inch. Their own tweets from back in 2020 indicated that they weren't going to take anything that was endorsed by Fauci or Bill Gates. They didn't travel internationally. So why is it that they would feel the need to get it? Because Trump told people to get it? I mean, I guess that's possible, but it's highly unlikely. Um, not to mention, Silk didn't spend any time bashing Trump. And, she, and he was sitting right next to her as she was standing giving the speech. I mean, she could have done that, I suppose, and blamed him for the vaccine and whatever else. She said the phrase, died suddenly on two separate occasions. She said it at the sort of toward the, the beginning, I guess, and then toward the end. And that's, of course, when she said, we've got to look into this because people are dying suddenly. And they're dying from these shots. And she said, and my sister died suddenly. So the implication is that she took the jabs. But I, I, I again, have no proof because she didn't specifically come out and say, yes, she took two shots or one shot or three shots or whatever. 
it seems so unlikely given their personalities. They hated government. Government told them to get injected. Why in the hell would they do that? Not to mention, they're black. And we know that a lot of black Americans despise vaccines, and they know all about the government vaccine policy, as do countless other races of individuals who live in America who hate government and don't trust government. So the attitudes of them and their personalities just don't match up with them actually taking it. Physically, I had noticed that Lynette Hardaway had gotten thinner over the last few years. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but that's something that I noticed. Um, so I, I just wanted to mention that, that, that she didn't say that, she, that her sister actually took the shots. Those words never came out of her mouth. It was kind of implied, but again, it, didn't, it, it just doesn't fit. I do, again, I don't know one way or another. Here's what she also said, which was awesome. Two huge things. The first was Fox News reached out to her, reached out to Silk after the fact, and wanted Silk to be on Fox News to talk about her sister's life. Silk told Fox News to go straight to hell. And she told them and said this. She said, they want to make money and increase ratings on the back of my dead sister. She was like, Fox News can go straight to hell. I don't have any time for them. They're the worst. They can go straight to hell. That was awesome. Awesome. Because Fox News has screwed them over before, and they've told Fox News to go straight to hell. They did it again. You know, these are the people you want in your, in your foxhole. It's these kinds of people, the people that don't budge. I love it. I absolutely love it. She then said this, and this was flipping great too. It would seem that Silk is aware of the virology lie because she brought up the shots and said, isn't it interesting how people are taking these shots? I'm paraphrasing her, but she said, isn't it interesting how people are taking these shots and then they're getting around people who have not taken the shots? And yet the people who have not taken the shots are only getting sick from the people who have taken the shots. And I thought to myself when she said that, I went, she knows what this is. She completely knows what's going on here. She's totally awake. She's totally aware of what's happening. That that's the biological weapon aspect of this. That it is transmission from a biological weapon recipient to a non-recipient of said biological weapon. Therefore, that's how everything spreads from person to person. It's not coughing and sneezing, it's electromagnetism. And the, and the shedding process of electromagnetism. Just like when you put two magnets together, what happens? They snap together. But if you hold them a distance apart, you can still feel the tension between those two magnets. It's no different with two human beings, one who is sick, one who is not. The cells in the body, being electric conductors, feel that charge. 
and they can disrupt the healthy cells in the healthy person because of the unhealthy cells in the unhealthy person. But she said that, and I thought to myself, damn, she's got it figured out. She knows that this is a lie. I'm going to tune into her show in the future because she said she's going to continue the show. I want to see how much, what else she knows. Because again, she's learning quickly. And it's going to be interesting to see again what, what happens in the future and how, again, I mean, she has, she has no strings attached to her. There's, she's not a puppet. You know, these, these were women and are women who have been at the forefront of trying to wake people up for a very, very long time. Um, and God bless both of them and their families for everything that they've done and are going to continue to do. It's, it's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I just wanted to, wanted to provide my two cents on that. Uh, that was awesome. And she's way more awake, I think, than what people may give her credit for. Okay. Albert Borla. Here's this piece of trash who should hang from a neck, uh, you know, hang, hang, hang from a neck. He should hang from a rope by the neck until dead. Let me play his audio in three, two, one. And this, by the way, my apologies, is from the World Economic Forum, where he openly says that he wants mRNA shots, or mRNA rather, in the flu shots and in every shot going forward, and will have them ready by June of this year. Now, you've heard that on this show countless times, but now you're going to hear it out of the satanic horse's mouth. Every time there's a variation, we have a standard process that we isolate the virus. We try to see if the virus, the variant escapes the protection of our vaccine. If we have suspicion that it might, we start working like if we are going to make a vaccine. Many of the variants disappear, so they are not an issue anyway. But if some start growing, then we are not losing time because we have already prepared those steps. And, and have found one yet to get around? To you get know, around the always we find and we discuss the, the, the data with authorities, but the ones that will make this decision is not Pfizer or Moderna or any manufacturer. It is CDC and FDA, it is uh, the European authorities, it is the Israeli authorities, it is the health authorities of any country that will ask, we, based on the data, we want you to make this vaccine as a new what the duration of the vaccine? I mean, I've gotten, I think, two or three boosters now to the initial vaccine. Yeah. It lasts a while. Are we going to have to get it every year, or are you developing something that might actually last longer? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't last the current ones, and also doesn't last the disease. For example, if you get disease, you can get disease again after three months with the same even variant, not even absent the change of the variant. That's why it's very difficult for this virus to eradicate. I don't think it will. Uh, but uh, we are working to see if we can get an annual vaccine. An annual vaccine will be ideal because people will remember they can do it with other vaccinations like flu and can, can last. Okay, flu, you raised it. Yeah. Where are you in developing? Because I know, I think that's what you originally do with Biontech. You were yes. developing mRNA for flu. Where yeah. are you on a flu vaccine based on mRNA? Oh, the studies are running. They have completely recruited. We are waiting for cases as they accumulate. It means that people have been vaccinated. Good placebo, vaccine, and then... The disease, some of them will get disease, and then we are waiting to unblind the data to see what is coming. I think it will come in the, this year, in 23. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, you can't guarantee a timeline, depending on the clinical trials. No, because but you... your best guess, what would you think? Uh, I think uh, by the first half of the year, maybe. First half of the year? Yeah, June, July. Wow. And, and so, are, how far are we away from one vaccine that's both COVID and flu together? First, we need to have a flu. 
<laughs> and uh, if we have a flu, already we started uh, uh, experiments to combine the two. Uh, so that we don't lose time again. Uh, I think we'll come more or less all together if it is successful. If it's successful, if it's successful, well, it hasn't been. Everybody who took it is the guinea pig. The guinea pigs are dying. He wants annual shots, just like flu shots for people to take. He wants mRNA in all of them and predicts rather certainly and uh, confidently that that's going to be the case by June or July of this year. If you take a flu shot, as you've heard me say countless times since I've had this show airing, if you take a flu shot in the future, you're finished. You have to become a needle-free individual, a needle-free family, and you have to tell as many human beings this as humanly possible. Because there will be the dummies who get it, and it will be potent. And when those dummies get around people, they're going to make the unjab sick. Now think about what they're going to do in the future with the individuals that receive these jabs that are rolling out by the middle of this year, according to him. And those individuals get around the people who are already jabbed. What's that going to do to the cells in their body? It's going to amplify it. I mean, if you want a depopulation, ladies and gentlemen, it can't get any clearer than this plan that they have devised, that they are carrying out, and that we are all witnessing in one fell swoop. This is it. It's happening. So, there you go. But again, the likes of Steve Kirsch in his double-jabbed wisdom, being sarcastic because I'm not a fan of his, but, you know, he was on Stu Peters the other day and Lauren Witzke was interviewing him and he, he dropped the phrase conspiracy theorist. Well, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. He, you know, whether he's a Democrat or not, whether he's always been one or not, it doesn't matter. If you're unjabbed, you're smarter than Steve Kirsch. He can have a gazillion readers of his substack. He can be referenced at length a million times. He can be on all these shows and interviewed at length. He's not awake. He does not know what we know. He thinks viruses are real. They are not. This is a biological weapon. It's nothing more. It's not conspiracy theory to talk about depopulation and how this was done intentionally. That's a fact. And yes, depopulation is a real thing. And he was also, I believe now, it's coming back to me, he was referring to it being a conspiracy theory that Big Pharma was paying the media to promote their message. He thinks that's a conspiracy theory. Apparently, he hasn't seen again all of the commercials that say brought to you by Pfizer on all of them. Steve Kirsch isn't thinking because he's double jabbed. So his cognition is going to, or cognitive ability is going to decline with time. It's not going to get better. His, His pencil's not going to get sharper with use, if you know what I mean. He would do well to hold his tongue. And you would think 
that a person dying from the jabs, as he is, would take a lesson from the unjabbed and maybe hold his tongue, ask more questions, and stop sounding so certain about things. Because his certainty or perceived certainty is what has gotten him in the situation physically where he is now. How's that going to end up for him? But God bless Lauren Witzke on the Stu Peters show for, for pointing out his hypocrisy after she was done talking to him. She got on Gab and was like, hey, Steve, you know, conspiracy theory, huh? I mean, that's awesome. Steve Kirsch is burning bridges because his head is inflated. He, he would do well to just pump the brakes. We're, we are ahead of the curve, Steve, okay? We were ahead of the curve before you. No one even knew who you were until you came out like a Candace Owens kind of character and said, well, I used to be like this. Now I'm like this. Great. What about the rest of us? What about Festivus for the rest of us? The rest of us know exactly what's going on and have from the start. But squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's disgusting. Okay. Few more stories here. Japan Today. Ah, Seoul. Japan. Jabbed to the bone, as you heard in the last episode. This says, quote, from Japan Today, Japan to lower COVID 19 to flu status in the spring. Why? Because people are dying from the jabs that they forced on the vast majority of their population upwards of at least 90%. Now they have to downplay it. Well, it's like, it's like the flu. Now it's just like the flu. Well, there is no flu. Joke's on them. There is no flu. Flu doesn't exist. That, too, is a poison brought on by a shot that people take and then spread from person to person. Ah. <sighs> Yikes. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's just exhausting. This is from The Blaze. Uh, titled, Doctor Tells Canadian State Media That After Flu Season Comes Stroke Season. A Dr. Raj, uh, good lord. Yep. It's, it's no more Canadian than the name Raj. R-A-J. Last name, no chance. Uh, Bar Bardwaji, urgent care physician. Honest to God, I mean, Canada really? <laughs> okay, if you say so. Uh, here's his audio in three, two, one on CBN News. So, what is this link between influenza, infection, and stroke? Yeah, I didn't know about this either until last year, but it turns out that after flu season, about three or four weeks later, there is a stroke season. And like you said, most of Canada is uh, getting down off of a, of a big uh, hump of, of flu. So now we're starting to see more strokes. And a friend of uh, one of my colleagues actually mentioned that at work the other day. said, have you noticed how many strokes we're seeing? It's a lot more than usual, it feels like. So anecdotally, we're starting to see that. A hump of flu, a hump of it. Is a hump a unit of measurement? <laughs> Honest to God. 
these doctors allegedly and they're they're made uh you know fake made up terminology a hump of flu i've never heard of a hump of flu is it a bucket of covid a roof of uh i don't know a, a roof of strep throat well, i mean what the hell a bucket of flu and I didn't figure this out until last year that strokes are increasing. There must be an anecdotal correlation. No, there isn't. There's no such thing. It's the shots, dummy. It's the shots. And I'm telling you, the people who believe this can't possibly survive in the future. They just can't. And they're going to come after people like that guy, this Dr. Raj dude. And they're going to rip his arms off. They're just going to rip his arms clean off. Uh, yeah, I got, I got nothing else on that. Dummy. Absolute dummy. Here's another uh, quick little article. Peer-reviewed journal. Identify, it's titled this. I, gosh darn, you know, I'll tell you what. I read these so frequently, you'd think I'd keep better track. Um, this has to do with, well, I'm just going to summarize it very quickly. If I've already read this in the past, it has to do with, this was from back on, uh, January 9th. It has to do with N-acetylcysteine and how individuals who took N-acetylcysteine, it had a positive impact, of course, on their lungs. This isn't new to the listening audience of this show, but it's an anti-inflammatory and it works. So here's a particular study that uh, took high mutation rate among SARS-CoV-2 people. They gave them N-acetylcysteine, and it was effective against all variants. No such thing as a variant, uh, but in particular within the human lung cells. So if you're interested in looking up that particular study and shoving it in somebody's face, it is titled Identification of Druggable Host Dependency Factors Shared by Multiple SARS-CoV-2 Variants of Concern. Multiple authors on that. All right. Then there's this. This came from beckernews.com. This was also tossed my way. Uh, I don't recall who threw this my way. My apologies. I'd give you credit. It was either Sandy or uh, our excellent educator in Louisiana or someone else. But either way, beckernews.com, bombshell. Love that word. Constant use of that word. Uh, new emails reveal Dr. Fauci was part of NIH and WHO conspiracy to silence Wuhan lab leak theory. It says Dr. Fauci once considered America's top COVID doctor, I don't know whoever said that, conspired with influential scientists around the world, including the World Health Organization, to quell concerns that SARS-CoV-2 may have leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology newly unredacted emails show. It continues, it says, uh, the newly released emails raise questions about Dr. Fauci's motives in dispelling public scrutiny over the potential the novel coronavirus had escaped from the Wuhan laboratory. Fauci had misled Congress over the extent of the National Institute of Health had the extent to which they had funded the Wuhan lab as a subcontractor of EcoHealth Alliance. The Wuhan laboratory was also funded by the Pentagon Contract Awards show. 
Emails were exchanged among Dr. Fauci, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Chief, Sir Jeremy Farrar, a top scientist at the World Health Organization. Kristen Anderson, a leading immunology and microbiologist with Scripps Research, Professor Edward Holmes, a biologist at the University of Sydney, Dr. Francis Collins, former director of the National Institutes of Health, Chris Elias of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, shocking, said no one ever, and the George Fu Gao of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Victor J. Datsau, if I'm saying that right, or Dazau, of Duke University and various other influential scientists and philanthropists around the world. Well, there's your execution list right there. There it is. Prosecute them and kick them off a bridge. That's all. There are their names. We know their names. Says an academic paper, quote, The Proximal Origin of SARS CoV 2, published on March 17th of 2021, had definitively propped up the rival theory to the lab leak theory that SARS CoV 2 had natural origins. Ladies and gentlemen, this never comes from a living animal. These poisons that they create don't come from the living, it comes from dead fermented animals mixing all that juice together that spills out of them sucking it up into a syringe putting it into another animal watching that animal die and then sucking it up again out of that animal and then putting it into a human being with other additives and other things to make sure that it gets into a human cell and destroys the human dna and then game over. There you have it. That's how it works. It's not bat soup. It kind of is. It just depends on how you think about it. It's not, again, it's not people eating dead bats. It's worse than that. It's people, like I said earlier, just taking the juices of all of it. And when I say people, I mean these are lab technicians doing this on purpose. It's a giant on purpose is the whole point. One final uh, peer-reviewed article here, and then a history lesson regarding, actually, I'm going to play this before my, I'm going to read my history lesson. I want to play an audio from Scott Adams, the, uh, the founder of, of Dilbert, who of course is having a hard time, although he's figuring it out slowly over the course of time, that if you put your foot in your mouth, it becomes really hard to pull it out. And every time that you do pull it out, sometimes it makes its way back in, and then sometimes you're just forced to pull it out again, because breathing with a foot in your mouth is a tough thing to do. Uh, so this particular, again, peer-reviewed article very quickly, if you want to look this up too, this is from back on uh, December 8th of 2022. It's titled in the journal titled Vaccines, Placental Transfer Immunity to the newborns in a twin pregnant woman vaccinated with heterologos coronavac-chadox1. Um, quick summary and translation of the abstract, it moves to the placenta when you are jabbed as a pregnant person. And it does move to not just one child, but 
two children if you are in fact having twins. I'm shocked that they had to write a paper about this. It pretty much goes without saying, but there you go. That 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 article does exist. It is a fact. Okay. Let's listen to Scott Adams pulling his foot out of his mouth because it 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 sounds the same every time he does it. He does it a lot. He of course is double jabbed and it's now come to the realization that yes, it is in fact the unjabbed who had it right all along. I believe he's married to a young woman and she is jabbed as well and has cancer or had cancer, something to that effect, if I'm not mistaken, allegedly. Uh, here's Scott Adams pulling his foot out of his mouth in three, two, one. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you that the people who, the anti-vaxxers, appear to be right. Somebody who did not get vaccinated, got a little Omicron, or maybe even a worse one, but recovered. Now you've got natural immunity, and you have no vaccination in you. Can we all agree that that was the winning path? The smartest, happiest people are the ones who didn't get the vaccination and are still alive. I want to make sure that I'm not leaving any wiggle room for myself. Have I? Have I said as clearly as possible they're the happy ones right now? And have a reason to be completely. Having uh, having said as clearly as possible that the anti-vax people seem to be the winners, I want you to hear that clearly. The anti-vax people appear to be the winners. The anti-vaxxers clearly are the winners at this point, and I think it'll probably stay that way. And and I don't want to put any shade on that whatsoever. They came out the best. They they have the winning position. The unvaccinated have a current advantage because they they feel better. The the thing they're not worrying about is what I have to worry about, which is I wonder if that vaccination five years from now. Because really, the anti-vaxxers I think were really just distrustful of big companies and big government. That's never wrong. It's never wrong to distrust government. It's never wrong to distrust big companies. So if you just took the position, let's just distrust everything the government did, well, you won. You won. (laughs) You won completely. I did not end up in the right place. Agree? You would all agree with that, right? I did not end up in the right place. The right place would be natural immunity, no, no vaccination. You should take victory, and I should take defeat. We can agree on that, right? That, that my position is now the weakest, and, and your position has gone from the weakest to the strongest, and that we can just say that's true. The people who didn't get vaxxed are absolutely in the winning position. You win. You win. You are the winners. You are the winners. Let me say that part with no ambiguity. You won. You won. Uh, all, All of my fancy analytics got me to a bad place. All of your heuristics don't trust these guys. It's obvious. Totally worked. Now I want to mention this too, because AJ Gochik tossed that clip my way. It was making the rounds on Gab. I had it liked and saved on Gab. 
I was going to toss it, of course, in a war video, and I wanted to play it here on the show, too. So, again, thank you, AJ, for throwing it my way also. This raises a very interesting point that that needs to be brought up, and in, in it, again, I think, encompasses a larger behavioral problem that we've all witnessed, in particular among the individuals who fell for this. And Scott Adams alluded to it, uh, but it... it it involves a little more it, well it's it's simpler than than even that i think what this entire situation has done in my opinion and i'm not the only one that shares this is that it gave copious amounts of people gullible and not but many gullible and of course as we know brainwashed from the matrix that we were all born into it gave them the opportunity for the first time in their lives, potentially, although they've been trained with this with previous false flags. But this in particular gave them the opportunity to sound intelligent, so they thought, about something that was medical related. It gave them the opportunity to start casually talking as if they knew what they were talking about and what they were saying was accurate. When in fact, of course, it was not. So again, the satanic joke has been played on them. It gave them again the opportunity to talk about illness, quote unquote, vaccines, medicine, and yet, the opposite of all of those words is actually the truth. It's not illness, it isn't a vaccine, and it's not medicine of any kind. The people who knew that going in, they, I mean we, let's just use the word we, we knew that depopulation was a viable agenda for the people who run the world who are Satanists. We knew that whole sentence right there. We knew that jabbing people was one of their methods that they would use to get people to believe that the jab that they would take would somehow help them. We knew that too. We also knew that they would have to have a manufactured scenario in order to trick people into taking the thing that would be sold to them as the cure when in fact it would be the cause of their illness and death. We also knew that before this whole thing even started. In fact, to the Stu Peters of the world out there, that's what the Q-drops were all about. The Q-drops told people about that. But the Scott Adamses of the world would bring up Q occasionally, but scoff at it and criticize it. Well, look what that's gotten him. See what scoffing and criticizing does instead of actually diving into it and learning about it with an open mind? We were warned in those Q drops to not take jabs. We were taught to investigate the vaccine industry and the people behind it and the medical industry, etc., etc. We were taught that in those Q-drops. No one can discredit that. No one 
can take that away from us. Nobody can make fun of Q drops and sound like a aware, intelligent human being logically. You can't. It was in those drops from top to bottom. It pulled people in with things they wanted to hear, and then it just started telling blatant truths. And then it started asking questions. Where does this come from? What's this person's association? Connect the dots. Think for yourselves. Get out there and tell other people. Get active. Do stuff. Learn. Archive your information that you learn offline. Why would they say that? Upcoming cyber attack. That's why they like the word virus, of course, because it's ubiquitous. It gets to be used in endless avenues. It can be used regarding food, it can be used regarding human beings, and technology and computers. I've recently just purchased another external hard drive, another 2 terabit hard drive. Everything that I do, I save offline. I recommend doing the same too in the future. But that was, you know, that right there, that's the behavioral thing that that came about as a result of all of this was that for the first time in a long time although again like i said earlier endless people were primed for it to always talk about things as if they have everything figured out and they know it all i of course do not i'm an empty vessel i'm learning things constantly and i'm unlearning things daily but what it did was is it gave people the opportunity to sound like they were somehow medical experts. What they didn't understand was is they were just parrots, just repeating what the powers that be wanted them to purposefully repeat. And they got used, and they got used to death. And that's too bad. So it's not a game. It's not a we win, we lose thing. He even said on Twitter, it's a coin toss. You basically flipped a coin and you won. No, this was not a coin toss, Scott. It wasn't a coin toss. This had to do with learning. It had to do with a hubris versus a lack of hubris. It had to do with the individuals who knew they knew nothing and, and enjoyed the Socratic method and apply the Socratic method among the quote-unquote, to use a K-12 school term, the know-it-alls. That was the divide in society. That's what you saw. And they got tricked. And again... Being tricked like that at this level of the game is going to have deadly consequences because it already has. So, there you go. Okay, shifting gears here. There's no transition. I'm just going to read a piece of this. Although, it's a very nice document and lengthy. Uh, this particular PDF is approximately 50 pages long, almost. Again, I like history and I like. Learning and unlearning. One of the sad things you'll consistently hear, and listen for it the next time you hear it, because I guarantee you'll hear it. You'll hear Adolf Hitler's name be tossed in with gun grabbers. P 
People on the media will consistently say Adolf Hitler took the guns from his from the German people and he disarmed all of them. Ladies and gentlemen, that is completely untrue. I have a document here written by William L. Pierce. It is titled Gun Control in Germany 1928 to 1945. This is uh, this was published in 1994 by National Vanguard Books. Here's the article, and the article is a few pages long. Uh, a little long for me to read at this stage of the game, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll link it in the description below, or you can at the very least find it on my Gab page. Uh, but I do want to read a piece of this. It is titled Gun Control in Germany, like I said, 1928 through 1945. It says, a common belief among defenders of the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is that the National Socialist government of Germany under Adolf Hitler did not permit the private ownership of firearms. Totalitarian governments, they have been taught in their high school civics classes, do not trust their citizens and do not dare permit them to keep firearms. Thus, one often hears the statement, quote, you know the first thing the Nazis did when they came to power was outlaw firearms, unquote, or, quote, first thing, first thing Hitler did in Germany was round up all the guns, unquote. One can understand why many American gun owners want to believe this. They see in the current effort of, of their own government to take away their right to keep and bear arms a limitation of an essential element of their freedom and a move toward tyranny and they want to characterize the gun grabbers in the most negative way they can. Adolf Hitler has been vilified continuously for the past 60 years or so by the mass media in America, and certainly no politician or office holder wants to be compared with him. If the gun confiscation effort can be portrayed convincingly as something of which Hitler would have approved, it will have been effectively tarred. Uh, it says the identification of the inclination to deny citizens the right to keep and bear arms with National Socialism and Adolf Hitler has been strengthened recently by clever magazine advertisements, which show Hitler with his arm outstretched in a Roman salute, or the Bellamy salute, as it used to be called in the United States, and was done in American schools, I might add. Uh, under a heading, quote, all in favor of gun control, raise your right hand, unquote. A Jewish group, Jews for the Pres Preservation of Firearms Ownership, or JPFO, quite nosy for its size, no pun intended, I'm sure, has been especially zealous in promoting the idea that the current gun control effort in America has its roots in Germany during the Hitler period. This group has gone so far as to claim in several articles published in popular magazines, read by firearms enthusiasts, that the current restrictive legislation being proposed by the U.S. government is molded on a gun control salute, I'm sorry, statute, enacted by Germany's National Socialist Government, the German Weapons Law of March 18, 1938. And it continues and continues, and ladies and gentlemen, it tells the true story of all of it. 
It says, both the Germans' weapon law of March 18, 1938, enacted by the National Socialists, and the law on firearms and ammunition of April 12, 1928, which was enacted by the anti-National Socialist government, are given below in full, first in facsimile and then in English. Uh, English translation. A little background information first, however, may help the reader to understand their significance. And the history is here, ladies and gentlemen. It's amazing. Bullet point after bullet point. Handguns were allowed to be purchased. They were allowed to be owned. Adolf Hitler did not take the guns from his citizens. He wanted a well-armed citizenry. Children were taught to shoot. Families owned guns. This was, this was a big deal. There was gun restriction under Weimar Germany. That was the problem. It's those pesky facts, I'm telling you. They exist. They're out there, but you're not going to find them in the media, your magical TV idiot box, and you're not going to find it in an American K-12 school or university. It's nowhere to be found. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.